Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. Staffers at the Los Angeles Times walk out for one day, a sad day at Sports Illustrated. And today on the show, the Texas AFL CIO and the Transportation Trades Department. Welcome to the Monday, January 22nd edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least five platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. We have two guests on the show today. We're going to start things off with Len Aguilar. Len began his career in labor as a pre-apprentice with the United Association of Plumbers and Pipefitters. This would be Local 142 in San Antonio, Texas. He worked his way up, winning election to several offices in that union and distinguishing himself as an instructor in what's called the Gold Standard Registered Apprenticeship Programs. Boy, they are a gold standard, no doubt about that. Len is the first Latino to hold a top office now in the Texas AFL-CIO. He is currently the secretary-treasurer. He did serve as executive director of the Texas Building and Construction Trades Council and as political director for the Southwest Pipe Trades Association, where he represented plumbers, pipe fitters, welders, HVAC technicians in three states. He has advocated for programs that steer working people into union apprenticeships and for equal opportunity on the job. He's a good guy, no stranger to America's workforce, and the Texas Labor Fed right now has about a quarter million affiliated union members and a couple of things we're going to talk about well you know the the border situation there i'd like to get labor's perspective on that and organized labor has been of the opinion that you know what we need true immigration reform i remember so many conversations with terry o'sullivan when he served as general president of labor's international because in the in the trades well there's a lot of uh, There's a lot of documented and undocumented workers, and uh, they're trying to get that together, especially with uh, some immigration reform in Congress, and it just never went anywhere. So we'll touch on that with uh, Len. We'll also talk about vouchers. Last time we had him on, they wanted to expand that monumentally in the state of Texas. We'll also get into a worker safety. It's, uh, It's not an easy state for unions in Texas. Later in the show, we'll be checking in with Greg Regan. Greg is the president of the Transportation Trades Department of the AFL-CIO. TTD.org is their website. And uh, we're coming up to the first anniversary of East Palestine, the toxic train derailment. It was on uh, February 3rd of last year. And... uh, We're going to get a perspective from the Transportation Trades Department on what has happened and what has not happened in the last year. Now, there's legislation in Congress that is moving ever so slowly, and it's my understanding that the rail lobbyists are doing their best to water it down. 
In fact, uh, coming up at the end of, let's see, maybe this month at the beginning of next month, we're going to be checking in with uh, Eddie Hall. Now, Eddie Hall is the president of the Brotherhood of Locomotive Engineers and Trainmen, and he is very close to that situation. I believe uh, we'll be checking on checking in with him on the 1st of February. So we'll talk to uh, Greg about uh, East Palestine, and then we're going to talk about uh, raising, well, some are trying to raise the age for pilots. 30 labor unions have signed a letter urging Congress to oppose changing the pilot retirement age from 65 to 67. And altogether, I mean, there's, a, like I said, 30 unions. I'm just looking at the list here. You got the professional aviation safety specialists, the Teamsters, Unite Here, the uh, United Steelworkers, the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers, the uh, Amalgamated Transit Union, just to name a few. And uh, the letter reads, I'm just going to read part of it right now, raising the retirement age to be in non-compliance with international civil aviation organization will upend pilot bidding, will expose pilot unions and airlines to significant legal liability, require hard-fought-for collective bargaining agreements to be reopened and reduce other unions' ability to negotiate contracts, reduce pilot utilization, create training backlogs, imperil flight operations, and importantly, will not increase the supply of pilots. Yeah, this is a very powerful letter, and uh, Greg's going to talk about that. Lastly, Greg is going to talk about the Consumer Electronics Show, which took place in uh, Las Vegas a couple of weeks ago. He uh, moderated a panel discussion about artificial intelligence and how uh, it has affected at least the transportation trades department so far. So that should be a pretty interesting discussion. So Greg Regan, president of the transportation trades department, will be joining us later in the show. Now a brief look into the world of labor. The segment brought to you by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, $17 billion in assets under advisement, serving the needs of Taft-Hartley funds, corporations, public funds, endowments, foundations, as well as religious organizations. Well, in response to significant plant layoffs, unionized staffers at the Los Angeles Times launched a one-day strike on Friday. The walkout, which the L.A. Times Guild is calling the first newsroom union strike in the paper's history, took place in response to layoffs that management announced on Thursday of last week as a means of reducing the paper's 2024 budget. They said they just can't operate with the staff as it is right now and what they're getting paid. Now, the Guild, the Times Guild, represents around 400 editorial employees at the paper, including reporters, photographers, as well as editors. And they have offices around the country, and everybody took part in that walkout for one day. Now, time to the walkout. The union held a rally to save local journalism in downtown Los Angeles. That was at noon on Friday. And I got a quote here from the Guild. The management of the L.A. Times has announced that it intends to imminently lay off a significant number of journalists and is asking the Guild to gut, to gut seniority protections 
in our union contract, so they have vastly more freedom to pick whom to lay off. This will greatly damage our ability to provide the accountability journalism so important to Southern California. Now, the union was able to call a strike. Again, this is just for one day on Friday because they've been working under an exposed contract for months, which is currently negotiating with the paper's management. In a comment, a Los Angeles Times spokesman said the L.A. Times has not missed a day of publishing in 142 years, and we will be publishing. The Times Union first alerted members that cuts will be imminent in an email on Wednesday. The bargaining committee is not allowed to say how many guild members the company wants to lay off. But folks, according to the statement, this is the big one. Media Guild of the West President and Times reporter Matt Pierce wrote in an email to members that day. Management then informed the newsroom of the planned layoffs on Thursday. Boy, they're pretty sneaky on this. Now, the union said in a statement, this was on Thursday, that the current demands of management include disclosing the number of staffers the papers wants to lay off or the salary number that they're trying to reduce. They also want its interim leaders to hold a town hall and explain their plan on how the paper will increase revenue and wants union reps to be involved in the search for a new executive editor. Got a comment here from John Schloys. John's been on the show many, many times. He hits the uh, News Guild CWA. He's the international president. He, he said, we built a union to safeguard the future of the Los Angeles Times and its journalists, and that mission has not changed. The owner can do the right thing by working with journalists to find a solution that's both humane and does the right thing for the international community that depends on the reporting of the L.A. Times. Keep in mind, John was the individual that organized the L.A. Times some years ago, which led him to the presidency of the News Guild. Meanwhile, more bad news for journalists following through on a warning earlier this month, Authentic Brands Group, these are the owners of Sports Illustrated, they revoked their license to publish due to a mispayment. As a result of the move, the entire staff of Sports Illustrated, which has been around for 70 years, they were notified on Friday that their jobs are going to be eliminated. The internal memo from Arena said some workers would be terminated immediately while others will continue working during the notice period legally required of employers. All affected employees will get severance pay, according to the memo. Like I said, a sad day, a very, very sad day at uh, Sports Illustrated, an iconic magazine for so darn many years. At one time, they were owned by Time Incorporated, Time Magazine, and Time Warner. But those days are long gone. All right, quick break. When we come back, Len Aguilar on behalf of the Texas AFL-CIO. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. 
from roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. Attention members of the Heat and Frost Insulators Union who are interested in traveling. Central Ohio has more construction projects on the books than anywhere in the U.S. Mega projects, large and medium-sized jobs are creating more work than our local 50 brothers and sisters can handle. Projects like Intel, the Honda LG battery plant, and multiple data centers for Facebook, Google, and Amazon offer union wages, overtime, and exciting incentives. Local 50 is seeking union travelers to meet the needs of its signatory contractors who can put you to work immediately. If you're a member in good standing and interested in the work opportunities in Central Ohio, visit insulators50.com forward slash AWF travel for more information. Hi, this is Liz Schuler, president of the AFL-CIO, and I am a huge fan of Flash and America's Workforce radio and podcast. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, where you can find more at teamster.org. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The, the United, United Steelworkers. Steel the largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in, in the, the US, US, Canada, Canada and the, the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steelworkers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers. You can find more at ifpte.org. This segment of America's Workforce is brought to you by Survey and Ballot Systems. SBS has been providing unions with secure and flexible election options for over 30 years. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Ironworkers. You can find more at ironworkers.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the Ohio Federation of Teachers, oh.aft.org. Let's go to Austin, Texas right now. And joining us on our live line as our first guest is Len Aguilar. Len is the secretary treasurer of the Texas AFL-CIO and neglected to mention their website, texasaflcio.org is their website. And right now they uh, represent about 240,000 members in Texas, altogether 460 plus affiliates and locals and 20,000 activists. And you could count Len as one of the top activists in the Texas AFL-CIO. Len, by the way, started his career in labor as a pre-apprentice with the United Association of Plumbers and Pipefitters, that would be Local 142 in San Antonio. Len, how is, well, welcome, welcome back to America's Workforce. Happy New Year to you. How's, how's your brothers and sisters doing at Local 142? Let's start right there. Hey, well, Happy New Year to y'all. Hope everybody's doing well. Appreciate the opportunity again. Um, everybody at 142 is doing great. Our business manager, Mark Potter, 
uh, and the rest of the the rest of the folks down there are, are doing well. Uh, work is good right now, as they say, and and uh, it is it is a a good time to be to be a member one forty two and and the different trades out there for sure. Very powerful union. In fact, we had Ray Boyd on the show a couple of months ago. We're going to bring him back, and he's done a lot with uh, with education, and he's been doing a lot of traveling to uh, not just the United States but various countries to talk about the UA experience. So, yeah, it's it's a powerful union. We uh, we appreciate what the United Association of Plumbers and Pipefitters has done over the years, and they ain't done yet. No, they're cranking it. So how's the uh, Texas Labor Fed doing? I, let's start right there. I want to talk about the situation on the border. I'd like to get your perspective on that, but and the legislature as well. Every time we have you on, there's something. They're trying to pound down workers. It's not what you call a union-friendly state, but so far the Texas Fed, how we how we holding up right now, Lynn? Right now we're doing good. We're doing good. We are we are are holding our own. Um, it, it's a group effort for sure, and, and we we don't do anything alone over at the Texas AFL-CIO. It's something that that is done with our affiliates and our members, like you said, roughly two hundred forty thousand of us across the state, and uh, it, it's difficult because Texas is such a large state. Uh, you know, such such a large state, a lot of area to cover. But we are we are proud of the work that we're doing we are we are continuing to to fight for the working folks in the state of texas and and trying to to keep everything uh you know keep everything on on level ground for everybody well last year was a heck of a year for labor across the country and and i say that in two two ways you got organizing that picked up organizing has been going gangbusters since the pandemic no doubt about that but what made last year so significant was the brothers and sisters that said, you know what, we got to do better. Inflation is eating away at our pocketbooks. Uh, we haven't gotten raises in years. We're going to have to probably go on strike or threaten to go on strike. And I'll tell you, well, look at the Teamsters with UPS. They, they, they caved at UPS. They got a heck of a deal. You saw what happened with the UAW. And the UAW, <laughs> they're they're working in the South there. They want to get those non-union plants. But uh, how are we doing with regard to organizing in the state of Texas? Now Texas is tough. It's big. It's very pro-business, not friendly to unions. So maybe you can give us an assessment on last year and what you see for this year, Len. Well, last year was tough, and I mean, just like every other year, it's tough no matter how, how what year it is. It's going to be a tough, a tough road to, to to travel. But it's something that we are, again, being able to hold our numbers and and grow a little bit in, in different areas here and there. Um, they just had a poll that was recently done here in Texas, and President our President Rick Levy was was uh, was interviewed about that here this last week, and roughly sixty four percent of Texans uh, are in favor of unions. And think that they're a good idea, just like just like the across the country. And so we have the wind at our back right now, and it's, we got a lot of opportunities. The nurses are doing are doing great work in Texas. Uh, Starbucks workers are doing great work not in Texas and across the country. Integral Care has done some good stuff here, and like you said, uh, UAW and seeing what UAW has done and Teamsters has done, and, and for being able to be there and be support as they're going through their going as they were going through or as they were going through their. Uh, their their negotiations and their their strikes and such. Um, we're in a good spot. We feel confident about what we have in front of us. Uh, a lot of good opportunity and a lot of support right now. So we feel good about what's in front of us. 
What about the trades? I know you come from uh, the UA and all that. Is 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 that moving forward too when it comes to you know unionizing and maybe targeting the non-union trades and bringing them over to uh, to the union side? Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, I'm I'm confident the trades are going to grow. I mean, just it it's they're going to grow as it is just with all the investment coming down and the opportunities um, from the federal government. And so they're they are growing without a doubt and the jobs the mega projects that are coming around the state and the different opportunities for for work are happening and just general uh just general growth is happening at the same time with these these historic investments that are being made in in our in our state and our country so yeah the trades are growing everybody is is moving full steam ahead and uh again we are we are excited for what we got in front of us let me ask you about your your grid there, the electrical grid. And you know, you you went through this a couple of years ago when uh, we had the the freeze down there, which was crazy, and you had a lot of pipes breaking, and and it's not part of the national grid. Have they addressed that situation, or are they just uh, you know moving past it right now? Yeah, it's funny that you bring that up. Is that we just had our our. Uh our winter storm, I guess, as they say, uh, last week or, or a week and a half ago or so, where we were going to be below freezing uh, in the state for, for a couple of days. And to see the governor again on TV and making assurances or reassuring everybody that the grid is safe and you're going to have power and we are going to be okay during, during you know, a cold spell. It's, it's something that shouldn't bring back bad memories, but like you mentioned, I mean, a couple of years ago, we lost power. We lost, we didn't have power. We didn't have water. The state basically shut down and was, was moments away from a major shutdown, uh, in the, in, with the power grid. And, you know, we had two days of, of cold weather. It was nothing like a couple of years ago, but it is sad. It is sad that we have to go through that. And, and when you, you have to be reminded or reassured, that, yeah, you're going to be able to turn the lights on, don't worry, and it's going to be cold for a couple of days, but yet everybody is, is out stocking up. Grocery stores were, were left empty, and uh, it is, it's, uh, I guess they have addressed some of it, but we haven't had a storm at the level of that winter storm a couple of years ago, so we haven't had the same type of test. Hopefully we're, we're going to be okay moving forward, but uh, it is still something that is concerning every time it does get really cold or or really hot during the summertime but but texas is still separate from the national grid and, and that's what helped the other states i mean when one state has some problems then they pick up power from the other state mm-hmm. that hasn't changed though has it no no texas is you know the governor and everybody still everybody in power there uh is still wanting to be independent and separate from and uh, we need to we need to get smarter than that and realize that uh, that that having more more opportunities or, or more options is better for us moving forward. But uh, you're exactly right there, yes, sir. All right, let's switch gears here a little bit. Your your governor is in the national spotlight because of this uh, border situation over there, which is, seems to be getting uglier by the day. And uh, we've had a number of conversations with labor leaders like yourself about the situation with uh, immigration in this country. And I referenced Terry O'Sullivan. Terry and I, when he was general president of Labor's International, was very, very concerned. And uh, he was. He, we often talked about temporary protective status with workers, and which is so, so needed, especially in the trades. Now, can you... 
Can you share with us the Texas AFL-CIO point of view? Because I haven't, you know, I haven't heard anything as far as the national media. And that's why we do this show. We want to hear what the workers have to say. We're seeing one thing on TV. I know it's not a good situation, but Len, fill me in. What, what's, uh, what's your president, what's yourself, your members, your affiliated union saying about this? What we are saying is that every worker, every individual should be should be respected, and everybody should be respected. Bottom line, and what's happening at the border is 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 tragic. It is something that uh, that is uh, it shouldn't be happening. It's unfortunate, and it, and it seems like those uh, at the federal level and and at the state level both are are using it as a as are going to be using it as a campaign slogan or a campaign item as they're moving into this election. Those of us at the Texas AFL-CIO, uh, I mean, we, we are we are there to help and support. I mean, we, we run, and this is something that was that was supported and created by by the Texas AFL and our affiliates, but our citizenship clinics, and that's something where we are able to help those that are coming through the process and going through and and, and needing some help and support because navigating and trying to figure out that system, the immigration system, is difficult. So we partner up with different different allies and, and different organizations to try to help those folks that are trying to get through this process, uh, trying to get through this process uh, the right way. And I got to say, we are—I think we are one of the only uh, groups that are trying to do something like that. And yes, with the TPS uh, and 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 the other opportunities that are there, we, it's something that we need to take advantage of. We need to try to educate our our our, our members, our affiliates. Um, our communities a lot more about what options are out there and what opportunities are there. But we are there to help and support, and we're proud of the work that we do in that space, and uh, we're going to continue to do that type of work and, and continue to help uh, you know help our, our neighbors. I, I know they're trying to work some type of bipartisan deal in Washington, but, you know, there, there's some on the far right that don't want they don't want anything to happen because this is a political year. Is that pretty much the same opinion of uh, the Texas AFL-CIO? Yes, sir, and, and it's an out. And basically for our governor, um, talking about if, you know, we had our voucher issue uh, that was going on this past legislative session and that led to multiple special sessions. And every time that he started losing or that he lost on the voucher issue or any issue where he did not come out on the winning side of it, it's easy for him to point at the border and then misdirect everybody. He's, he's wasting resources. He's wasting time. He's wasting money and wasting every, you know, just wasting the state's time and resources on things that are not going to help, help the state of Texas. And so when he takes a loss, he just points at the border and gets everybody scared and, and uh, misdirects everybody's attention. And that's what he's going to continue to do. And yeah, it's going to, it's going to continue to be a campaign issue and it's going to, it's going to become more and more, of uh, just of a divisive issue, and it is sad. It's sad that uh, just a couple of weeks ago we had another another few deaths. I believe it was a woman with her two kids. Um, I don't remember the ages of the children, but we, we you know three people lost their lives coming across, and allegedly it was because the officers from Operation Lone Star didn't allow the federal officials to come help and do their job as these people were coming across the border, so they wound up drowning. Uh, it is. It is something that needs to be addressed. It, it, we shouldn't be putting people's lives in danger because of it. And it doesn't matter what side of, what side of this. It, shouldn't, it doesn't matter what side of the aisle that you're on, right, left. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter. Uh, these are folks. These are people. These are humans. Yeah. And we need to be more respectful, respectful of each other in that space. 
Len Aguilar joining us on our live line today. He is the Secretary Treasurer of the Texas AFL-CIO. TexasAFLCIO.org is their website. We'll continue with Len. He mentioned the vouchers. We'll pick up on that. Later in the show, Greg Regan will be joining us on behalf of the Transportation Trades Department of the AFL-CIO. Back in a few minutes. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferens. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A.org. The Ironworkers Great Lakes District Council, consisting of eight ironworker local unions in West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Michigan. We build the skylights and bridges along the Great Lakes. With more work than ever before, the Great Lakes District Council is actively searching out the next great ironworker. Whether it's building the next Intel plant or constructing a bridge to safely connect our great cities along the lake. So join the Ironworkers Great Lakes District Council today. Find out how and learn more about the council by visiting IWDistrictCouncil.com. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at BoydWatterson.com. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Communication Workers of America. You can find more at cwa-union.org. A great union requires a reliable election system. Survey and Ballot Systems is a trusted election partner with more than 30 years of expertise in managing union elections. By partnering with SBS, your union can ensure it gets an auditable process and a high level of customer service. SBS is here to help you conduct your union vote securely, transparently, and with trust building always in mind. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Steelworkers. You can find more at usw.org. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and sign and display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. Now... Back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. And when you get an opportunity, just sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings, so please keep them coming. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the United Labor Agency. ULAgency.org is your website. Let's go back to our live line. Joining us from Austin, Texas today is Len Aguilar. Len is the first Latino to hold a top office in the Texas AFL-CIO. For the past three years, he's served as secretary treasurer. And we're talking about a quarter million brothers and sisters in the state of Texas. You know, uh, let's talk about, you brought up the vouchers in the the last uh, segment here. And I know you and I had many conversations on uh, what the governor was trying to do. And, and it's not just in Texas. They're doing the same thing here in the state of Ohio. They, it seems like they all want to privatize public education. But apparently you did pretty good in the last session here. What What's the status of uh, 
public education and vouchers in Texas right now? Yeah, we did. We did. Uh, we did surprisingly well. We we uh, we were able to stop the legislation again um, with with AFT and, and the different education members that we have, and and community folks across across the space were able to come together and just bombard the Capitol with with calls, with emails, with texts, just that that uh, grassroots type type organizing and and getting in front of these members. It didn't matter where they were, uh, back home or in Austin, and they got the message. They definitely got the message. Uh, from the regular session to the multiple special sessions, um, it was something that uh, that that we can be proud of and and the work that was done to to uh, stop the, the the coupon, I guess you can call it also. They want to call it a voucher, but it's, it's basically a coupon for those that, that can afford it. So proud of the work that was done by everybody. Everybody did a great job to to uh, to stop that. Well, Len, you know they never give up. What, what's, what's on the agenda for this year in the legislature? No, that's true. That's true, and I think we can we can we can get a general idea of what's gonna, what's coming. Is uh, you know again, it's campaign season and campaign time, and the governor just received a I think it was six million dollars a campaign contribution from one one of the major voucher supporters in the country, and so I think that's we're we're pretty sure that's just going to you know going to get ready to tee things up uh, to to go back in that same space and and try to do that. But again, w- what that showed is is when you can come together and work on things and even in Texas, where that is a Republican controlled state, this was a bipartisan effort. And this, this showed that Republicans and, and Democrats re- came together to uh, against an issue. And it was something that they came together. They talked about it. They, 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 they went through the process the way it's supposed to be done. And, mm-hmm. and, and the final, the final, the final vote was done and, and it didn't pass. And the governor's upset about that, and and his is is vowed to campaign, and is going to campaign against a lot of his Republican uh, members of the House because of of their uh, their opposition to the voucher bill. So uh, we we know what's coming. We're we're going to gear up, and we're going to be there to support and help our 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 members across the board, and and uh, we'll do it again. What about worker safety? And, and I know it's chilly down there now, but before you know it, it's going to be hot. And uh, last time you and I talked, there was some legislation dealing with rest breaks. When it gets, when you get that extreme heat in the summertime, I mean, come on, just you know, give somebody a chance to sit down, get a drink of water for a little bit. And it seems like the the lawmakers there totally ignore. They're tone deaf on that issue. Um, what what it, what was the result of that? And is and if it was bad, can we turn it around? I mean, we hope we can turn it around. Obviously, they were they the local control, the preemption um, was was something that was that was a a that they were working on and wanting to get done, and they had a lot of business support. Unfortunately, the the, the legislators and those those in power, those leaders in Austin, listen to business instead of the workers. And when we are not concerned about workers, those that build this state, like those in the trades that are out there, or those that are working um, just day to day. The one thing that we all have in common, it doesn't matter Republican or Democrat, the one thing we all have in common is that we all, each one, each and every one of us get up in the morning to go to work and provide for ourselves. And we should be able to go to work, earn a good living, be able to come home at the end of the day and be able to retire after, after a good career. And that's all we're asking for. We're not asking for anything, you know, that is extreme. 
And we're going to continue to, to, to push that message. And we're going to see what we can do to try to, to try to change the tide. But unfortunately right now they are in power and they are listening to, to the business side of the business industry and don't have much concern for the workers in the state of Texas. And that's something that we're going to continue to fight for and we're going to continue to work on. So let's talk about changing the system from within. And you know what's been going on here, and especially this year, because it's such a politically charged year, that there's a lot of union members, people like yourself, they could be a business manager, president of their their local, they get involved in politics and try to change the system from within. I know the AFL-CIO has a toolkit on this, kind of grooming our members to get involved in political office, whether it's a school board, a city council, a state rep, a governor, whatever the case may be. How's that program look in the state of Texas, Len? To be honest, that's something that we that we really haven't touched on as a as a unit or as a group, and that's something. But we we still have those union members that are running for office across across the state um, for different offices, like you said. And so we're excited for that. We're there. We're going to help and we're going to help and support those members where we can. Uh, but it is something that we definitely need more of. We need more. We need more folks, more of our union folks, more of our union brothers and sisters, more of our union family to become involved in that process. And we have a good opportunity for that coming up this weekend. We have our, our COPE convention coming up this this coming weekend in Austin, and that's where we're gonna we're gonna lay out what we have in front of us and the path that we're gonna take through these elections and who we're gonna be supporting and who we're not gonna be supporting, and the issues uh, that are important to us. And again, making all these these uh, determinations of support as a group the way it should be. And and we're gonna be we're excited about what we have in front of us and and the opportunities we have in front of us in that space. But we really haven't. Uh, gotten into the into that that space too much, but it is it is on the list of things to do. One more question here before you go, Lynn, and I want to talk about the, what we call the pathway to the middle class. And since you come from the trades, I mean, you know what the trades did for you. I mean, it, it's it and it, the the work. There's so much work out there. No matter where you go, there's so much work, and you can get good money and great benefits in the trades. How are we doing, in your opinion, statewide, and you served as executive director of the Texas Building and Construction Trades Council for some time, how are we doing attracting young people into the trades, into those union positions in the state of Texas right now? I think we are doing a good job. I think, I mean, it can always be better, but I think we're doing a good job. And and those that are in charge of our, our local unions, our business managers, and, and those on the apprenticeship side of things, those apprenticeship directors or coordinators, are understand that. And and are starting to become more uh, accepting of of the uh, of the idea. We have to get in these different spaces. We have to go where these these workers are at, um, these young workers. Um, you know, it, it, we can't we can't continue to do the same thing that we've always done because there is, like you said earlier, there's so much demand and so much opportunity in front of us that we need to fill these jobs. And that, that is something that we are working on. And I think the trades are in a, in a lot better space than they were uh, years ago. And we're going to continue as, as a uh, building trades in the state to get better um, from when Mike Cunningham was there before me. And then when I was there and the folks that have come after me and, 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 and to Rick and the folks that are in there now, I, they're going to continue to push and continue to get better uh, at bringing opportunities to younger younger people in the state of Texas. Doesn't matter where you come from or where you live, but we, you know we're gonna we're gonna be there and we're gonna we're gonna give folks an opportunity. 
Well, I know you started a local 142 in San Antonio with the UA. We started off the conversation. I think it's only appropriate that we end it that way. We'll do a shout out here to local 142. Uh, to how many how many members do they have right now, to your knowledge? Uh, is it, has it been pretty good? Yeah, I think, I, if I remember right, I think they're around 11, 1,100. I remember okay. seeing 1,100, 1,200. Um, good. Could be wrong by, by a couple, but I think right around there. Good, good, good. Well, we wish them well. And thank you so much for uh, joining us here today. Len Aguilar, Secretary-Treasurer of the Texas AFL-CIO. Again, the website, do check them out, texasaflcio.org. You covered a lot of topics. You stay safe, stay in touch with us. You Just remember this. I say this to so many of my guests, almost all of them. This show is your show. So if you got something going on in your legislature, give us a call. And uh, we'll get you on the show and make sure that everybody in the country hears what's going on in the state of Texas. Okay, brother? We appreciate it. Thank you. All right. We're going to take a quick break. Greg Regan is the president of the Transportation Trades Department of the AFL-CIO, and he'll be coming up next. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of LIUNA, the Laborers International Union of North America, delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with LIUNA. Find out what it takes for LIUNA to keep America running at LIUNA.org. That's L-I-U-N-A. Hire union musicians. Call Music Talent of Cleveland at 216-881-1802. Call Music Talent of Cleveland as your dependable source for professional musicians in Northeast Ohio. Union musicians add harmony to weddings, elegance to parties, and uplifting music for all events. Music Talent of Cleveland contracts solo and ensemble musicians as well as bands and orchestras for single engagements. So hire union musicians. Call Music Talent of Cleveland today. 216-881-1802. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Auto Workers. Find more at uaw.org. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The, the United, United Steelworkers. Steel the largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in, in the, the US, US, Canada, and, and the, the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steelworkers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Heat and Frost Insulators Labor Management Cooperative Trust. Find out more at insulators.org forward slash LMCT. Union members need to be heard. Reliable and convenient union voting has never been more important than it is now. Make voting easy for your membership by working with survey and ballot systems. SBS offers encrypted and monitored solutions that ensure your elections are accurate and accessible for every member through mail-in, online, and in-person voting. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com and take the next step in getting secure and auditable elections. America's Workforce is presented by the Labor's International Union of North America. Feel the power right now at liuna.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. 
Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. Let's go to uh, Washington right now. And joining us on line number two is Mr. Greg Regan. Greg is president of the Transportation Trades Department, a division of the AFL-CIO. We're talking over three dozen unions dealing with transportation, whether it's on the ground, on the rails, or in the air. TTD.org is their website. And we are coming up to the one-year anniversary of what happened in East Palestine, Ohio. It was February 3rd of 2023. And uh, frankly, not too much has happened when it comes to rail safety. And that's why we bring uh, people like Greg Regan to the show. Greg, welcome back to the show. Talk to me about this. I mean, you, from from the get-go, you were involved in this. You're involved in legislation. I'd like to get your assessment here almost one year later. Go ahead, brother. Yeah, it's, uh, well, it is, uh, it is sad that we are almost a year out and that we haven't seen any meaningful action uh, most importantly by Congress. And, you know, I think that there has certainly been a lot of interest. There are a lot of different pieces of legislation out there, but, um, you know, we haven't even seen a vote in the Senate on the, on the Brown-Vance bill, which is, you know, not perfect, but would make some really important improvements. And in the House, we haven't even had a dang hearing. Um, you know, the, the, the Republicans haven't even held a hearing on rail safety, let alone uh, trying to move on any legislation. So, you know, I think it's, we're, we're trying to turn up the heat here continue, and continue to, to see some progress. Now, we're still seeing train derailments, not the scope of East Palestine. So I'm just wondering here, um, is, is this the cost of doing business? Have the, has the industry, uh, have, they, have they done anything to improve the safety of what's going on with the rails? No. Not, no, not in any meaningful way. I mean, you know, we're still seeing furloughs from Union Pacific, for example. Uh, even though, you know, the, the extreme job cuts that we've seen and the, and, the, and the workforce levels have been a real contributor to, to safety problems on the railroads. And, you know, you're right. Derailments have not really, we're still having derailments, and they haven't gone down. Uh, but at the same time, you know, they're, the railroads are lucky, and frankly, we're all lucky that we haven't seen another derailment like East Palestine, where we have a, you know, vinyl chloride burning and an explosion. Um, but that's frankly luck of the draw. And, you know, we don't, the train doesn't get to choose which cars derail and what's on those cars. So we can't, you know, take our, we can't take it for granted that, that you know, well, because there hasn't been another East Palestine itself, uh, that, that, that the problem has been solved. You know, there is a, there is always that risk about which cars derail at which time and where they are. So, so the chemicals that were on that train, they're, they're still carrying chemicals very similar to what happened in East Palestine then? Oh, yeah, not only very similar, they're still carrying final fluoride. And, and let me be clear, I actually, you know, I would much rather have a lot of these things transported on rail as opposed to, you know, trucks on the road. Uh, but mm-hmm. it's, again, just because it is the safest way to move some of this stuff doesn't mean that we can't improve the safety on the railroads. We've seen the consequences, and there are ways to improve the safety and to, to try to prevent the next one of these accidents. Well, I know maintenance is a problem um, as far as uh, the number of people on the job. I, now, we've had a, a huge reduction in workers on the railroad. 
Uh, has that improved at, to your knowledge right now? Are they hiring more at this stage? Uh, no, I don't know. Workforce levels themselves. I mean, there, there, there was a slight uptick last year for a little while, but I think as a you know, net employee level, it's not improved to my knowledge. And again, uh, you know, Union Pacific, one of the largest railroads, um, just announced another round of layoffs or furloughs last week or two weeks ago. So, um, so you know, I, I think the railroads are counting on complacency. They want to continue business as usual with the, you know, the way that they've been able to make record profits quarter after quarter, uh, continue to reward their shareholders, and sort of just sweep everything under the rug. And that's what they were counting on after East Palestine is that, you know, Congress wouldn't act in any meaningful way because, you know, they could delay it enough. They could use their friends in Congress to delay legislation enough that, you know, go three, four, six months later, um, you know, there will be another thing that Congress has to deal with, and this whole issue will be swept under the rug. And right. you know, we're trying to make sure that that doesn't happen. Well, it ain't going to happen on this show. We're going to make sure that this issue stays alive. I promise you that. Let's uh, let's move on to uh, the age of pilots. Now, right now, the age is 65. They want to raise it to 67. And I saw your letter. I referenced it at the top of the show. There's 30 unions that uh, signed off on a letter. Talk to me about this. Is this something that uh, they want, like, on fast track right now or what? You know, this is a... This is a, a an issue that was a priority of one member of Congress in the House, and it sort of just gained a weird snowball, uh, you know, reaction. This wasn't nobody from industry went into this round of an FAA reauthorization uh, with this as a priority. You know, there was there. You know, if you're a pilot, um, or if you're you're a, a regional airline group, if you're a regional airline itself, no one was saying, "Ah, oh, yes, the the pilot retirement age that's going to solve our problems." Um, this was manufactured by, by you know, a, really one person. And then it sort of gained legs. And frankly, it's just really bad policymaking. I mean, we, we shouldn't go into, you know, the, the, the retirement age is a medical regulation and it's a safety regulation. If we are going to be doing anything drastic like changing the retirement age, it should be based on, you know, medical data and safety. It shouldn't be a, you know, shoot from the hip, you know, reactive type of legislative maneuver. Um, and that's what this is. And that's, you know, frankly, that's just bad governance. And I, I, I'm counting on that principle, you know, carrying through at the end of the day. But, you know, it's still alive, and that's, um, and that's been really frustrating. So this letter was sent to every member of Congress, I take it, then? Uh, it was mostly sent to the Senate, um, to senators, because that's where this is still being debated right now. The House thing is done for the moment. Um, but assuming the Senate gets a bill done, you know, we're going to keep the pressure on when they have to go to conference and the House and the Senate have to unite their bill to get one that they can pass in front of the president. But, you know, right now we're focused on the U.S. Senate. Gotcha. Yeah, those of you listening, you go to the ttd.org website and you can read that letter and see all the unions, all their logos are posted on that letter, 30 of them all together. All right, let's talk about uh, technology here. And recently there was a discussion on artificial intelligence at the Consumer Electronics Show, which took place in Las Vegas. I know a lot of uh, members of organized labor was there. 
and there's been a number of discussions. You know, on behalf of the Transportation Trades Department, we're hearing all kind of stuff. I know the Teamsters are very concerned about, like, automated trucks, you know, driverless vehicles. I mean, the future can be exciting and scary at times. Greg, um, what are you hearing about artificial intelligence and how it's going to affect the workforce, especially our union members? Yeah, it is. It, I think you put it right. It's exciting, but also scary. And, you know, the, the rapid change in terms of how technology can, can sort of uh, become infused into our lives requires some really difficult and, and but important policymaking. It requires real regulations to make sure that, um, A, everything that's being done is being done safely, uh, but also to make sure that we are, you know, planning and integrating in a way that, ensures that the workers, that we don't do worse economic harm than any benefit that's realized from this. So that means thinking about how do we integrate workforce issues into how these things are being developed. And, you know, I, we are, we've been trying to do this from, for example, automated technology for a while. Uh, and, you know, we've been trying to ensure that there are workforce concerns front and center as people are, you know, writing the regulations that, will we'll actually allow these things on the road. But also with AI, I mean, uh, you know, Liz Schuler, president of AFL-CIO, and Microsoft just recently had an agreement where they're going to work together to ensure that AI um, and worker issues are not going to be, you know, separate from each other. That they're actually going to, have, you know, have an idea about how uh, AI and worker, you know, and, and workers can work together to expand jobs, to be a tool, not a replacement of existing workers. You know, it's funny. We had a conversation with uh, Ro Khanna. Ro is the uh, California representative in Silicon Valley, which, you know, a lot of the artificial intelligence research is coming out of. And uh, he's of the opinion that if you're going to use artificial intelligence and your productivity is going to increase, maybe you should share in the profits as well. I tell you, you know, we need more people thinking in that direction. <laughs> Don't you think that would be I mean, a great idea, Greg? I, I do. Uh, I mean, that's, that's been an, that's been an issue going back to the 1930s. <laughs> Frankly, you know, you know, go back to Walter Ruther and the, when they spin the uh, auto industry was being automated. Uh, I mean, that same, those same ideas were being bandied about and it's always been something that, you know, Corporate America has resisted. It's yeah. it's, uh, it's it's uh, it's a tale as old as organized labor, unfortunately. Yep. Yeah, we just got to raise our voices on that issue. All right, we're going to leave it on that note. Greg Regan, Transportation Trades Department of the AFL CIO, where he serves as president. You take care. We'll talk down the road. Okay, brother. All right. Thank you. Take care. All right, that'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Coming up tomorrow, we're going to check in with the sheet metal workers and our independent labor voice, Tom Buffenbarger. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce radio podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.